So two weeks ago we jumped off and we started this series just talking about worry and we talked about the commands that Jesus offers and he says, do not worry. And then last week we looked at fear and we're going to jump back into the same passage again to carry on with doubt. But Jesus commands us to not doubt. He says, do not doubt. But the interesting part about doubt is that it's really more like a two-edged sword. And I think we as Christians probably like to understand commandments as being sin or when you don't do that, then, then you're not sinning. But when it comes to doubt, doubt actually has some good parts to it, and it actually has some bad parts to it. So it's like a double-edged sword, and we're going we're gonna to jump into that. And so we're going to be talking kind of like a, in, around a gray area, all right? So don't be thinking about this as if um, it's an all or nothing, like I shouldn't doubt, period. Because I think built into life, there is doubt. And Jesus actually offers us an invitation to be free from doubt, or free at least from the effects of the negative effects of doubt, and invited into the positive parts of doubt. And much like during the morning prayer and the text that was talked about, there's a man who sort of has both. He has enough faith to know that he's talking to Jesus who can fix this issue for him with his son. But at the same time, there's this part of him that recognizes that there's something that needs to grow. There's a part of him that, that somehow is not living fully into who Jesus could be in his life. And so it really has kind of this double-edged function. So instead of thinking black and white, and I know I'm talking to a bunch of people of faith, and that's a scary thing. But instead of thinking black and white, like this is sinful or it's not sinful, I want you to sort of think about it as sort of through, through a lens that this is kind of how life works. And that there's a double edge to it and that we are invited into a life that is fuller than what the negative parts of doubt uh, bring to us, okay? So let's just start there. If you want to email me and you're upset about that, you just send it to Marilyn at Chapel in the Pines, okay? It's a good place to start. So looking at the text from last time, we were in Matthew chapter 14. And as you remember, the disciples are put into the boat for the second time. And if you, didn't, if you missed that message, we encourage you to go back and watch it, because we talked about it in Matthew 14. This is the second time Jesus shoves the disciples off into a boat. And you would think that they would have learned their lessons from the prior uh, text in which they are in a boat in a storm, and Jesus calms it while he's asleep. He wakes up, he calms it, and, and they should have learned their lesson. But we find in Matthew 14 that they end up in a boat again, the wind is stirred up, and they still doubt as Jesus comes walking on the water. And, and we left off right here with this verse, and here's what happens. It says, Jesus immediately said to them as he comes walking on the water and they're afraid, he says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid, don't fear. He says, and he connects it to his personhood, he says, it's me. And we talked about last week how, how the release of fear comes through a connectedness to who Jesus is in our lives. It comes through the power of being connected intimately in relationship with your Heavenly Father and with Jesus who came to this earth because He loves you so much. And, and what we found is that we have an invitation to not be afraid when we are connected to the person of Jesus. And more than that, more than just not being afraid, we're invited actually to take courage. We're invited to grasp and hold on to something that is greater than just not being something. So instead of just not being afraid, we actually can be courageous. Whereas not being afraid takes us to a place of neutrality, courage takes us to a place of conquer. And we're invited to live a conquering life, a life that overcomes things rather than a life of neutrality. And it's all penned up right here in this small little verse. But this is where we left off. So continuing with the account then, because that wasn't the end of it, Peter, 
begins to not just have a life of neutrality, he actually is going to have a life of courage. So instead of just not fearing anymore and coming to this place of homeostasis, he actually decides, I'm going to take a step of faith and I'm going to be courageous. I'm actually going to do something beyond not something. Are you following that? He says, Lord, if it's you, and again, it's connected to who Jesus is, this isn't blind faith. This isn't the kind of faith or courageous faith that sort of just rolls the dice or looks for luck. This is the kind of faith that is based upon a person. And so, Jesus, and so Peter connects it back to Jesus. Jesus says, take courage, it is I. And Peter says, if it's you, tell me to do something courageous. If it's you, then I know that because of you and your ability to overcome nature in calming the wind and the waves in the prior account, and your ability to overcome nature in walking on the water, then you actually invite me to be an overcomer as well. In your overcoming, if I am connected to you, I have the opportunity to overcome myself. And so Peter says, if it's you, I know I'll be connected to you. And in that connectedness, I don't have to live a life of neutrality. I can live a life of courage. And he says, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, is this an ingenious idea or what? Jesus comes walking on the water. They're all afraid of who this is. They think it's a ghost. They cry out. They're scared. And Peter, in the period of just two verses, two sentences, changes course from cowering in a corner to moving to neutrality, because now he no longer has to be afraid, and then moving from a neutral state to a life of courage in stepping out of the boat and saying, I can live just like the man I'm following. I can live in such a way that I can overcome not only the fear that so resides in me, but I can actually overcome what obstacles have been put in my way. And so Peter is no longer thinking, men don't walk on water. He's watching one do it. And he's thinking, I think men can walk on water. Maybe not this man, but that one can. And if he invites me to walk on water... I might be able to walk on water. Now, how many of you, if you walked out to White Pines Lake, would have any doubt in your mind that you could step on the water and walk on it? Probably have a little bit of doubt. And you know what? That'd probably be a good thing. Because if you started wading out there and you said, once you got up to your neck, any minute now, any minute, I will start to walk on water, and you kept going, that would probably be a bad plan. So Peter isn't able to do this on his own. He can't do it disconnected from who Jesus is. He can only do it because of his connectedness to Jesus. And he says to himself, I'm no longer going to doubt. I'm no longer going to doubt the raging current around me. I'm going to look to the one who has overcome all that. And I'm going to connect my life to his. And here's what happens. Because we think Peter's awesome, right? We'll give it a verse. Always give it a verse with Peter. And he'll mess the whole thing up. Because he's about to. So Jesus says, come. And Peter got down out of the boat. And look what he did. It's incredible. He walked on the water. But the key to walking on the water for Peter is that he was coming toward Jesus. He wasn't running around the water saying, hey, look, guys, look what I can do. He was going toward the one who meant the world to him. He was going toward the one who enabled him to actually do what he was doing. Not for his own benefit, not even as a testimony to the other men in the boat, but because he wanted to be near his Savior. 
That is the faith that is being expressed by Peter. But give it a minute. Give it a minute. Because Peter is human and he's like us. And here's what happens to Peter. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid again. So Peter went from a place of fear to a place of neutrality to a place of conquering. And then he looked around at the things that originally made him fearful. And what did he do? He went back to fear. And and this is kind of how life works. This is the nuance of life. And so he sees these things swirling around him, and he is what again? He's afraid. And when he's afraid, he's now disconnected from the one who said, take courage at his eye. And beginning to sink, he cries out what? Lord, save me. He begins to doubt. This is the human condition, isn't it? And before we jump all over Peter and condemn him for what he did and say, well, that's sin and I don't live a life of sin and we ought to be free from doubt, understand that this is the way life works. That it's our doubt that actually propels us back toward Jesus again. It's our doubt that causes us to stop for a moment and to grow in our faith even more. It's our doubt, it's this part of doubt that actually will lead to discovery as we're about to see. And he cries out and he says, Lord, save me, which is the one thing all of us would cry out if found in this predicament where the sinking begins and the wind and the waves begin to kick up. But what did Peter do? He took his eyes off the one who is causing him to conquer through that difficulty and he began to put it on the difficulty. You see the disconnectedness there for him? To walk on water, he had to take his eyes off the difficulty and put it on the one that could overcome To sink, he had to take his eyes off the one who could overcome and put it back on the difficulty. And then he's in this place where he says, Lord, save me. And isn't this the ebb and flow of life for us? Sometimes we feel like we're living a life in which we are conquering. We're overcoming the difficulties. We have a life of deep faith in which we feel connected to Jesus. And we're able to do amazing things. And we're seeing kind of miraculous stuff happen with our families and our financial life and our relationships. And um, the struggles maybe that we're having with, with health issues. And there are days where we're overcoming. And then there are days where our eyes are on the difficulty. It's just kind of the ebb and the flow. And the man's prayer this morning was so powerful. Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. And this is where we need God, as Marilyn prayed. This is where we need God. We need God to undergird the parts of our faith that are in doubt. Our faith is connected to God, giving it to us as a gift in relationship with Him. And here's the problem. We often think that faith is something that we actually muster up. It's actually something that through our own strength we come to. So that when we talk about worry and we talk about fear, some of us walk out of here, honestly, some of us walk out of here around that discussion and we think, I just need more faith. That's my problem. I need to manifest that. I need to somehow drum that up out of my heart. I need to somehow will that into my life. It's not about drumming it up, willing it up. It's about asking God for it. It's about the invitation to be connected to the person who can give us a faith that overcomes. Rather than exerting and expressing a faith out of our own strength that overcomes. Because that's a weak faith. It's the invitation to be connected to the faith giver. And so here he is, crying out to be saved. Continuing, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand. I mean, this is what Jesus does in the midst of our doubt. He immediately catches Peter. He reached out his hand and he caught him. He caught him from the sinking. 
that somehow our doubt will lead us to discovery, but our doubt can also take us down. And we're going to discover that through this text and through the next one in Luke. And so, so Jesus catches Peter. He doesn't allow him to completely go down. And he says, and we're, we're familiar with this, this phraseology, aren't we? Because it seems to come up around worry. It comes up around fear. It's this phraseology, you have little faith. And Jesus isn't saying this condemningly. Don't don't hear it through that lens. Don't hear it through the lens of an adult who disappointed you in their words. Hear it through the lens of a loving Savior who is saying to you, the exertion of your own faith is always going to be very little. The expression of your own faith is always going to be minuscule. These aren't condemning words. These These are words of statement. That your faith is small because it is your faith. But when I give you faith from me, it's huge faith. He says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? This is a rhetorical question for Peter. He doesn't answer. I would really like to know his answer. That would be really cool. But my guess is, is that his answer isn't any different than our answer. I took my eyes off you. I I think the answer is actually implicit within the story. I think Matthew records the answer for us. It it doesn't need an answer. He began to look around at the difficulty around him. And that brought up doubt. That brought up doubt. And when I have my eyes and my heart and my faith fixed upon who Jesus is, that brings about faith. When I I keep the trajectory of my vision that way, My faith is bolstered, and when I look around at all the scenarios going on in my life, all the swirling things that are happening, all the unknowns about tomorrow, all of the relationships that are going south, all the difficulties financially I'm having, the stresses I'm dealing with at work or in retirement life with the grandkids, whatever it is that you are facing at school or wherever you are in your walk of life, it is very easy to put our focus on those things, and that's where doubt begins to rise up. I think that the answer to this question is implicit within the story. But here's the amazing part about this. Look at what happens out of the doubt. This is the double-edged part of doubt. Here's the positive part of what comes out of this doubt. Look what happens in the next verse. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Here we go. We've got, we've got Jesus overcoming nature again. All of a sudden, the distraction, the thing that Peter was putting all of his attention on, as soon as he gets back into the boat, disappears. Is it, think about that. Isn't that incredible? The moment that he steps back into the boat with Jesus, the very thing that was taking him down disappears. It's gone. Here's the amazing part about the the double-edged part about doubt. This is what happens. There we go. Then those who were in the boat, what'd they do? They worshipped him. The doubt and the fear that they had actually drove them to worship. Saying, truly, you are the Son of God. They come to this discovery after two boat outings with Jesus and a walking on water and sinking of their friend. They suddenly, through doubt, come to this place of revelation. That's the interesting thing about doubt is doubt actually can drive us to discovery. It can lead us to a place of discovering not only who God is, but it it is a place of discovery of who we are and really who we're not and who we think we are. 
That's why Jesus says, take courage. It is I, not take courage. You're a fisherman and you've been out on the water before. Take courage in all your sailing skills. Take, care, take courage in the fact that the boat is stable and, and is reliable. He says, take courage. It is I. And it's that doubt, that part of doubt, that positive part of doubt that actually can drive you and I to discover who God is in our lives, if we will allow it. The problem is, is that we can become overcome by it as well. And I want to talk about that part coming up. So you can see why it's difficult to talk about this in a black and white setting. Like if I ever have doubt, oh, I sinned and I need to ask for forgiveness. I don't know about that. I think what I would do is in my prayer life and when it comes to doubt in my life, is I pray, I pray for more of God's faith. And I look to God to in some way overcome that thing. And I know that He can overcome it. He has overcome the world. And Jesus says, you know, take courage. I have overcome the world. And I can begin to put and fix my, my gaze upon that. And so I don't beat myself up and say, oh, I just sinned today because I doubted. I, I see the positive parts about doubt that can drive me somewhere. The problem is, is when I become consumed by it, and we're about to look at a person who's incredibly important within the New Testament, and Jesus says some pretty incredible things about this person. In fact, Jesus says, this person, there's no greater person that's ever been born on the earth. And this man doubted. So let's jump into that, out of the book of Luke, chapter 7. We find that Jesus uh, is out preaching the gospel within, within Judea, and news about him is beginning to spread. But here's the thing. John the Baptist, who baptized Jesus and who was baptizing people and was proclaiming the kingdom of God before Jesus came, is a very important figure. All of you know his name. His last name is the Baptist, so it's very easy to understand. Um, you can look him up in the phone book. Everybody knew who he was. He just went to be under Baptist. There he is. All right? John the Baptist. Everybody's heard of him. He's famous. All this. Well, Herod gets really angry because, because John is preaching uh, something about him. And he doesn't really like that. And so when you mess with authority in the first century, you usually end up crucified or locked up. All right? It's a brutal place. So John's out and he's talking about how Herod has married his sister-in-law and this whole thing's not right with God. And all of a sudden, John finds himself arrested and he's thrown into prison. So John is in prison in Luke chapter 7, okay? And it's an important note because we're going to jump into this. So the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. John's disciples, that's John the Baptist, told him about these things. You see, it's only John's really close friends that call him John. Everybody else calls him formally John the Baptist. So his disciples go and they tell him about these things. So you get the picture. John the Baptist is in prison. He's in Herod's jail. Some of John's disciples come along and they hear about all this and they see about everything that's going on with Jesus. And they go tell John the Baptist, hey, listen, this is what's going on out there. It is a party and you are locked up. You know, this is great news, right? Amazing things are happening. The thing that you kind of got to kick off, the thing you got to announce, the thing that you sort of had the, you were the opening act for, it's huge. You ought to hear it. You ought to see it. Okay, continuing. Calling two of them, so John calls two of his disciples to, that, to himself, and he sent them to the Lord, to Jesus, to ask, are you the one? This is interesting, isn't it? I mean, if you go back and you read, John the Baptist actually baptizes Jesus. He says, behold... The Lamb of God, of who, whose sandals I am, un, I am unworthy to untie. And then he baptizes Jesus at Jesus' request. He proclaims the coming of the kingdom. He recognizes Jesus before anybody could even recognize Jesus, which is a huge statement of faith. 
He gets locked up in prison and he does the exact same thing you and I would do. He begins to take his eyes off of what God is, is up to. He begins to put them on his situation. And he's starting to question, he's starting to wonder, why is it that I am called to go and prepare the way for this message and then it gets me in jail? It lands me here. And so he sends two disciples and he's in the middle of doubt. He's in the middle of doubt. He says, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And John's beginning to wrestle with this whole thing, isn't he? He's starting to wonder if it's all worth it. I think that's what happens in our doubt. As we follow Jesus, we begin to question our faith. We begin to wonder if it's all worth it. In fact, there are two questions that seem to center around doubt. Is it true and is it worth it? And those are the two questions John's asking. Is it true what's going on? And is the whole thing worth it? Is it worth the investment of my time, my money, my energy, my Sunday morning? I could be home shoveling snow. Is it true? Is it worth it? And and aren't these the two questions that sort of surround all of our questioning about faith? And lots of people come into my office or lots of people that I've befriended who have yet to discover who God is. They, They sit with me and they ask questions. And I'm telling you, every question centers around basically these two questions when you boil it down. And then I'll have people, they'll say things like, I'm sure as a pastor you never deal with this. And I look at them and I say, you're right. I never deal with doubt, ever. Of course I do. Of course these questions go in my mind all the time. They happen to me all the time. And I think that's the double-edged part of it, is it can actually spur me toward greater growth. Here's the problem with doubt. The backside of doubt is not only can it lead to discovery, but it can actually take you out. John had in this moment um, an opportunity to give up everything he had actually initiated. It it, it could have left him completely disconnected from from what was going on. But here's what happens in the rest of the story, getting back to it. When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask... Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Is it true, and is this worth it? John wants to know, is it true, and is it worth it, what he's going through? And Jesus replies, well, uh, Matt, or Luke continues to record for us, that at, the very time, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. Continuing. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. And so it seems that connected to our faith is also what we see and what we hear. It very much was connected for Peter, wasn't it? He saw Jesus walking on the water and he said, tell me to come to you if it's you. And Jesus said, come. So very connected to to Peter's ability to walk on the water was what he had already seen. And so our doubts begin to diminish by what we see and what we hear. Now here's where this is so incredibly important. So hear me right now, okay? If you are not in a community group, if you're not in a small group, in the life of our church, or if you're from down the hill and you're visiting us, you got a second home, great. We love you here on Sunday morning. Absolutely love you. But where we will fail you is that you're not here midweek to be in a small group. You have got to be in a small group in the church in which you attend on a regular basis or find one to attend or find a small group even if you don't go there on Sunday morning. And here's why. Here's why it's so important. If you're watching this online and you're at home and you're even thinking about coming back to church at some point or you're just away for the day, be connected to a small group. Be connected to a small group and here's why. 
Because our doubts go down when we are connected to what we see and what we hear. But our doubts even are diminished more when we are connected to what other people have seen and what they have heard. And it's so important to sit with people who have gone through incredible things, who have said, hey, listen, there was this raging storm and I got out of the boat and I walked out. Can you imagine Peter's testimony? Like, can you imagine his small group experience? You sit down around him, you're having your coffee and your little brownie, right? And he says, guess what happened to me this week? And, and you kind of stop eating the brownie. No, that didn't happen. And the other guys chime in, yeah, we were there. We were sitting in the boat. We, would, we were so afraid, we weren't even going to ask if we could come out of the boat. But Peter, he just, either he like was really tired and wasn't thinking straight, or he was drunk. We're not sure which. But he said, hey, I think I could do this. Jesus, can I do If it's you, tell me to come in. It really happened. And you'd just be sitting there like your brownie like this. Oh my. Because when you get around people who share their stories of experience with God, your doubt actually begins to turn into faith. You see, I need that in my life. I'm part of a community group. I've been part of one for the last six years. And I'm telling you, I need it. And if the, if, if the pastor of a church is standing before you saying that he absolutely needs it, then I think you probably ought to consider it. I have to have it in my life. And you've heard me over and over on Sundays talk about the importance of my small group in many aspects of my life, but this is one slice of it. Because I hear what my fellow small group members are going through, and I'm encouraged. I'm also thankful I'm not going through it. But I'm encouraged. Because the next time I go through something difficult, I think back and I think, you know what, that person had just incredible faith. In fact, one person in our group, um, the last uh, about a year ago, two years ago, was just going through some real crisis stuff in their family. Not family uh, immediate, but uh, family of origin. And I just remember saying in small group, I remember saying this to the person I turned around, I just said, you just have incredible faith. Like, you're just, you seem so calm about it. I'd be a wreck. Because that story, that sharing, helped me to see and to hear what they had seen and heard from God. And it encouraged my faith, and it diminished my doubts. Okay, continuing. Jesus says, the blind receive sight. Tell him, Go tell him. Go tell John the Baptist, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. I mean, how many times does this happen, right? There's dead people walking around. Just go tell him that. Like they were dead and now they're walking around. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Go tell him that's what's happening. Okay, continuing. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no greater than John. So even in the midst of your doubt, this is why I say I don't know that doubt is like this purely black and white sinful thing. Because Jesus says that there's nobody greater than John and he had huge doubt. And and so here's the encouragement to you and me. Doubt can be a catalyst for discovery. But be very careful if you try to do that discovery outside of community because it may take you down. I find it interesting that John still had disciples that came to him. He still had community life even when he was locked away in solitary. He still had people come visit him to encourage him, to bring him word of what was happening. And yet you and I, we think that we can live life in a solitary confinement, solitary state of our lives. We don't have to be part of a community group, be part of a faith community, and we're going to make it. Not even John could do that. Even in jail, he had a group around him who came and they said, this is what we've seen and what we've heard. And Jesus says, there's no greater than John, even in the midst of his doubt. You and I have an invitation in the midst of ours to fully follow Jesus 
when we see and what we hear what God is up to. And I want to leave you with this thought wrapping up. God's provision in the past, God's provision in the past, Jesus says, you notice that the, the verbs were in the, in the past. Go tell him what you have seen and what you have heard. Not what you're going to see or not what you're seeing, but what you, what you have seen and what you have heard. God's provision in the past is an invitation to no longer doubt in the present. And, and that's the invitation to us. That, that you and I can not doubt through the expression of God's provision in our past. So when the wind kicks up, when the doubts start to come, when the difficulties begin to rise up against you, your invitation from Jesus is to begin to look to Him and all that He has done in your life. And if you don't have a very long history behind you in your faith, all the more important to be in community group with people who do because you need to hear the stories. So when the moments come up and you start to ask the question, is it true? Is it worth it? With your fledgling faith, with your brand new faith, or even if you haven't yet had faith, but you're feeling compelled to maybe, maybe begin to follow God and you're starting to think about that in some way, you need people around you who have followed for a very long time. Because they will tell you, there is this place on the calendar, and this place on the calendar, and this place on the calendar, in which I began to think it wasn't true, and it wasn't worth it, and it wasn't true, and it wasn't worth it. And yet I kept going, and today I would look back and I would say, even in the questioning, even in the doubting, I discovered more about how it is worth it, and how it is true. And that's the invitation to you and to me today.